Hey, it's your host, April. This show, The High Guide, talks about altered states of consciousness brought on by cannabis and psychedelics and is intended for audiences 21 and over. If you've been listening to the show for a while and you like what you hear, please leave us a rating, a review, or a heart wherever you listen to podcasts. And lastly, I'm not a medical professional. If you are experiencing any mental or physical health concerns, please seek a licensed medical professional. Cannabis is not going to help your depression. It's going to mask it. In the long run, you have to deal with that because you can hide your trauma behind any addiction. Your, your depression, your anxiety, if you don't deal with them in a holistic way, yeah, they'll definitely find you through your drug use. Hey, I'm April Pride, your host on the High Guide podcast. This is the show for women who have an open and curious mind, and this is a show all about women changing their lives thanks to altered states of consciousness. At the top of the show, you just heard from Raven Duckett, who is a cannabis tech CEO and my business partner, as well as, like me, a boy mom. In this episode, Raven and I discuss the ebbs and flows, highs and lows of our cannabis use, which has become a hot topic on TikTok, specifically intentional cannabis consumption. On this episode, we're going to dig into the symptoms, potential contributing factors, as well as treatment options for cannabis use disorder. So if you've been asking yourself, how much is too much or too much? Is there such a thing? Today's episode is for all of you. As with every episode, we'll jump into the word of the week before examining the serious effects of serious life changes on my mental health over the last two years. And remember to stay to the almost end for our trip tips. But first, please remember to rate and review us wherever you listen to podcasts. The more reviews, the easier for people to find the show and consider alternative paths to well-being. Now for the word of the week. Cannabis use disorder. According to the CDC, some people who use cannabis and reports are 1 in 10 cannabis consumers and 3 in 10 cannabis consumers will develop cannabis use disorder, meaning that they are unable to stop using cannabis even though it's causing health and social problems in their lives. Okay, settle in because today's show is a lot of me talking and because I can talk so authoritatively, it's important to remind you that I am not a medical expert. I am not a licensed therapist. And lastly, although I've learned more than the average enthusiast, I'm not a cannabis or psychedelic medical expert. Nevertheless, I know what's up because I'm down. I'm deep in connecting dots to make sense of these two emerging industries, parsing through new science and questioning long-held beliefs. After all, I, like you, dear listeners, am a woman changing her life thanks to altered states of consciousness, which is what we are here to discuss today. My life events culminating in this season, which I've titled Ketamine for Divorce, Depression, and Dependency. The High Guide recently completed an audience survey. I now know the majority of our listeners are, like me, in their 40s, a decade that is characterized by what is referred to both as a midlife crisis and a midlife reckoning. Whether it's substances or some other suboptimal state you found yourself in, the decisions of this decade have a tremendous impact on those closest to us. The pandemic ended and I moved out of my family home. My partner and I of over two decades got divorced and I was living on my own for the first time as an adult since I was 22. 
I moved a 10-minute walk away, and the man who was once my husband is now my co-parent. So those two details give you an indication that our divorce was, by every account, best-case scenario. No matter, this new normal sucked, so I smoked a lot of weed. I continued to consume cannabis the way that I had because it wasn't a problem. And I was sad, right? And I was alone a lot. Cannabis was helping me stay motivated. It wasn't taking away my motivation at all. And I definitely slept well. But then it got to a place where I was like, huh, I can see the ways in which it's taking time away from other things that I want to do. And I felt like I was isolating myself. I was getting high by myself and I wasn't leaving my apartment. After a year, I felt like that was maybe not healthy. I could stop and I started by uh, microdosing psilocybin and about three days went by and I was like oh I haven't smoked weed oh well, that's good okay so why is that good I'd like to think that my story about consuming weed more than I needed for longer than I wanted is special but unfortunately it's not which is why we need to start having this conversation now I started writing this episode in late October of last year when over a one-week span Three news stories caught my attention. The first was the announcement from cannabis marketplace, Leafly, that it partnered with Uber Eats to facilitate weed delivery in Toronto. This headline was followed a couple of days later with the news that Circle K had the green light in Florida to sell, well, green. Yep, in the Sunshine State, you could buy gas at the gas station. The final cannabis-related feature was in the New York Times covering design for dispensaries. As an aside, my all-time favorite and the OG of high-design cannabis retail in Portland, Oregon, Sarah... S-E-R-R-A, was notably absent. All three of these press-worthy moments within days of one another marked an inflection point in cannabis. Whether you're motivated by a curated experience, convenience, or cost, there have never been more ways to buy your next high. And the products available through cannabis retailers? As legal cannabis retail markets have emerged in the U.S., Canada, and Europe, the products available to consume have changed. And the two changes with the greatest impact are the increasing THC potency of cannabis and the diversity of cannabis products available. I was already aware that the THC levels in 21st century cannabis were the result of Frankenstein land race strains. Think of these as the handful of original strains found around the world since ancient times. When people ask about potency, I relay this story from Vice, and I'll link to this in the show notes. It's a YouTube video. The kings of cannabis out of Amsterdam, their seed hunters, go into the Congo to find the original red or black Congolese strain, which is a land race strain. And all of the strains that we have today derive from these original genetics. So the hunt was on for the original, they say red or black. I've never seen black Congo strains or Congolese strains in a dispensary, but the red Congolese strain is my favorite. And I love Gold Seal and California has a really good one. When the Kings of Cannabis went into the Congo and gathered plants from, <laughs> it took them five days to find this crop, they they waited another, I think it was uh, 60 days, right? Because they had to wait to harvest it. And then they ran tests. The THC levels were at 8%. So as nature intended, the THC was 8%. And if you walk into a dispensary, I just looked this up on Leafly, the average is 23%. So that's the difference. We are very far in today's genetics with cannabis, very, very far away from where we started and as nature intended.
the exact moment when the aforementioned cannabis-related stories were making the rounds, another set of headlines were in the news, and these addressed alarming research about the negative effects of high-potency THC products. Published in July 2022, new analysis by a team of European researchers concluded that there is a link between THC dosage in marijuana products and psychological disorders, namely psychosis and cannabis use disorder, which, compared to low-potency cannabis, high-potency has been linked to to a 4x increase risk of addiction. The effect of this conclusive research, which I've linked to in the show notes, was felt here in the High Guides home state of Washington when a state congresswoman proposed limits to the THC levels in flour and concentrates for non-medical patients, citing that high-potency cannabis products have been linked to short-term memory and coordination issues, impaired cognitive functions, cannabis hypermesis syndrome, psychosis, and increased risk of anxiety, depression, and dependence when used for prolonged periods. At the same time, potency levels have increased, so have sales. In the first six years of legal weed here in Washington, there was a nearly 4x increase in product sales with the newly substantiated research about the adverse effects of products that are being sold in greater numbers year after year. How can we not question what's being sold to consumers? We've seen the lengths to which big tobacco, alcohol, and pharma will go to hook consumers with innovative marketing and product development. While we question those with commercial interests, can we at the same time trust the choices of others who choose to consume cannabis? To discuss this further, I've reached out to Raven Duckett, my business partner and my witness during this entire intense portion of my life. Raven is licensed to deliver cannabis in California, and right when this podcast launched, I became chief brand officer for her Oakland-based cannabis empire. We'll meet Raven in an upcoming episode and learn about Johnny, the AI bud tender she's brought to life and is launching March 1st. Listen on as Raven discusses her observations and experiences as a regular cannabis smoker over the last decade. When I see like on like TikTok people kind of like talking about their cannabis usage, sometimes it is perceived as a place from judgment. Oh, you smoke a lot. I used to smoke a lot and it didn't work out for me. So I had to stop and my life is so much better. I was listening to a podcast this morning about the cult of diet culture. And I got on a diet and I'm skinny now and I feel so much better and you should do the same thing. If people are coming from a place where they really want to help other people and share their cannabis use disorder story, I think it should just be that, you know. You want to be a beacon, you want to be a light, but you know, you, you, you also want to just like acknowledge that your experience with the plant is not everyone else's experience with the plant. This happened to me, right? So this happens to everybody. I think if someone is coming off like that, then I feel like that gets very combative. People are just defensive about their cannabis use and like sensitive about it, even want to talk about it. And I don't know if that's like right or wrong. And I get why people just get initially like very defensive about it because we're used to like defending it. Discussion around usage varies both among individuals and throughout the years within each individual's life. Sources claim about 1 in 10 people who use cannabis will develop cannabis dependence, which is lower than the conversion rates for tobacco, alcohol, cocaine, or heroin. So, what are some of the negative consequences of cannabis use disorder? Okay, I'll run through this list quickly. Regular heavy use can result in tolerance and dependence. A person will need more and more marijuana to achieve the same effects. Cannabis use in adolescence has been reported to increase the risk for schizophrenia. If smoked, long-term use may harm the lungs. Marijuana appears to be associated 
associated with deficits such as memory and attention problems. For people trying to quit, withdrawal symptoms may include irritability, restlessness, difficulty sleeping, and hot flashes. Drugs that lessen marijuana cravings have often been unsuccessful, and it's widely acknowledged that there's an urgent need to develop effective treatments, behavioral or pharmacological, for cannabis use disorder. So what are the current treatment options for cannabis use disorder? There are three that I found. The first is motivational interviewing. Turn ambivalence about quitting into energy to quit. The second, CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy. Identify and modify damaging thinking and behavior. For instance, one of the things that I'll do when I want to consume is I'll just take a moment and take a breath and say, I'm satisfied because essentially that's what I'm looking for. I'm looking for satisfaction. And the last treatment option, of course, all of these are behavioral based, is contingency management, tangible rewards to patients for positive behaviors, which Raven goes on to discuss. I don't want to be punishing myself and making myself feel bad because I want to get up and smoke weed every day. But if it is a problem, give me some reward thing. So it's like, okay, well, I didn't get up and just smoke weed right away. I got up and I journaled and I showered and I had some coffee and I mm-hmm. answered some emails yeah. and I smoked. 2023 is a good time to re-examine your relationship with cannabis and create an intentional relationship with it because it is a tool. It really does help with immediate anxiety and immediate depression, but it's not a long-term solution for someone who is actually depressed. Cannabis is not going to help your depression. It's going to mask it. In the long run, you have to deal with that because you can hide your trauma behind any addiction. Your, Your depression, your anxiety, if you don't deal with them in a holistic way, yeah, they'll definitely find you through your drug use. Air quotes, drug use. Acknowledging that cannabis is a tool that will mask it. Cannabis is a Band-Aid that you can put over a little depression boo-boo and feel better for a couple hours, but it's not healing anything. About six weeks before the end of my one year of grace to both fall apart and rebuild, I was contacted by WonderMed, an at-home ketamine treatment telehealth company. Thanks to the psilocybin, I had just enough time consuming less cannabis to see the results I knew were possible. We'll talk more about the role of ketamine in my life in the next episode, but listen on for what this therapy revealed. I did that treatment in September, and what I realized is I had let my cannabis consumption go on so long that it was actually covering up up an underlying depression. I had never been diagnosed with depression and that was a result of just like this huge life implosion and not being with my kids all the time and losing my partner too, which was like devastating. So it was addressing symptoms mm-hmm. of a bigger issue that I really needed to address. And I didn't know it when I realized that what I was doing to help myself was actually keeping me from realizing that like I needed to really help myself. Mm-hmm. And what I needed to do to really help myself was acknowledge and treat what, while not diagnosed by a medical expert, was clearly a lingering depression for my divorce. Officially called Persistent Depressive Disorder, or PDD, someone struggling with PDD, sometimes referred to as high-functioning depression, and officially called Persistent Depressive Disorder, or PDD, someone struggling with PDD experiences many of the symptoms of depression, but less severely. This allows the person to be able to function mostly normally, going to work or school, performing well, keeping up with responsibilities at home, and engaging in most social activities. This type of depression 
depression can be difficult to detect in oneself, but especially in others. To the outside world, a person with PDD seems fine. Internally, that person is struggling. And the fact that I've created three brands during this time that are all coming to life in the first six months of this year is, I think, the blessing and curse of high-functioning depression. I mean, I've been diagnosed with anxiety and depression, and they had prescribed me a few different medications. I never picked it up because if you want to stop it, you can't just stop it. And that kind of scared me a little bit. I can stop weed and not have any physical reactions to it. Of course, I think emotionally I will miss it. I'm going to stick with what I know for now to deal with what a doctor has agreed that I'm kind of going through. Women are, are often left out of medical studies, especially black women. I think there's definitely like that fear around those medications. And what exactly is someone going through once diagnosed with high-functioning depression specifically? These symptoms must persist for at least two years without any relief for longer than two months. And they must be felt on most days. I'm going to run through this list quickly, which I found on the website of Bridges, which is a recovery treatment center in Southern California that offers treatment for high-functioning depression. You feel a little down most of the time. Most people may notice this and refer to you as gloomy, cynical, or a downer. Your low mood is almost always present, and it feels like you will never get relief. When you do feel happy, it doesn't last long. You may feel tired all the time, despite getting enough sleep. It may seem like you're lazy, but you just can't summon the energy to do more than is necessary to function at a normal level. You feel bad about yourself, unworthy, and as if you don't deserve to be happy or liked by others. You do everything you're supposed to do, like go to school or keep a clean house, but it always seems like a monumental effort. You gain or lose weight without meaning to because you either have no appetite or overeat without thinking about it. You may feel hopeless often and cry a lot without any, sorry, I'm laughing because I cried a lot, or cry a lot without any real concrete reason. You do well enough at work or school, but it is challenging and focusing on tasks is difficult. You have to force yourself to engage in social activities when you would rather withdraw. PDD may cause complications that seem unrelated like substance abuse, chronic pain, relationship difficulties, and problems at work or school. It's important to note that not all who use abuse. Some who use also abuse for a time then reset the relationship with any habit-forming substance. Not all who use abuse. Some who use also abuse for a time, then reset their relationship with any habit-forming substance. We covered a lot in today's episode, so before I leave you with today's trip tips, let's review the timeline and how this season came together because the bird's eye gives you insight into how all this came together for me in real time. March 2020, the pandemic begins... For us all. And in September 2021, I move out. My life implodes. And April's year of grace begins, as does continued unlimited weed in all highly potent forms. For my 2022 New Year's resolution, less weed may be a best next move. And I make this resolution every month with mixed results. Then in May of 2022, I visit Field Trip Health Seattle Ketamine Clinic and independently pay for the screening. So I understand the patient experience. I answered the questions truthfully, and I did not qualify for treatment. A couple of months later, in July of last year, researchers link high THC products to a 4x increased likelihood of cannabis use disorder. 
concurrently, I begin microdosing psilocybin and cannabis use noticeably decreases. The next month in August of last year, WonderMed, which offers at-home telehealth ketamine treatments, reached out to me and pitched Lauren Swanson, their lead clinician, to be a guest on this show. As part of my due diligence, I went through the screening. I answered the questions more truthfully because I understood that I was sugarcoating some pretty sad stuff. And if I were really being honest with myself, I met the criteria for ketamine-assisted therapy for sure. So the next month in September, I completed the first of three at-home ketamine treatments. And after the second one in October, I realized I'd been depressed. About a week later, headlines about more ways to get high were everywhere, as were headlines about new proposed legislation in response to the new evidence indicating that there is a link between high-potency THC products and negative mental health outcomes, including dependency. I immediately got a virtual assistant, hi Phoebe, and started getting this show ready for a season to share all of this with you this month here, January 2023. Thank you for continuing to follow me along on this journey while we make sense of how to use each of these amazing gifts in the most optimal way for each of us individually and collectively as a society. You do you for sure, but who's looking out for you for real? You do. I leave you with today's trip tips. These are three tips to maintain a balanced relationship with the plant. Number one, add CBD. Consider products that include near equal ratios of CBD to THC. Number two, look for low THC products or products with five milligrams or less of THC. And thirdly, take stock on how weed is playing an intentional role in your life today. Thank you for listening to this episode of The High Guide. I'm your host, April Pride. Please check out our website, thehigh.guide, for our shroom strain reviews and guide to psilocybin. Tune in next Friday for another episode of The High Guide, a show all about women changing their lives thanks to altered states of consciousness.